It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. I think I don't I don't do drip or money or fashion. I do arts. What is going on? Welcome to episode number 684 of Locked On Raptors for uh, Wednesday, March the 18th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of Raptors.com for the month of March. Please go check out Raptors.com for all my stuff over there. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you are checking out the Locked On Podcast Network, which has not gone anywhere during the quarantine of sports, the pause of sports, whatever the hell is going on with sports uh, or lack thereof right now. Locked On is still kicking, and we are going daily until April. I think in April we'll go to three days, but still lots of stuff for you on the Locked On Podcast Network for you to check out. I'm probably going to stay daily after April starts because what the hell else am I going to do but talk to you fine people about the Toronto Raptors? Uh, and so yeah, that that is my promise to you. I will be here throughout all this crap because uh, I feel like people need some sort of distraction and hopefully this little podcast can be that. All right, on today's show, I am releasing one of the old episodes from the defunct Patreon page, Primo's Pasta and Ross, featuring John Gotis, who's our pal from Raptors HQ, and he joins me on this episode. He joined me like a year and a half ago now at this point to talk about Morris Peterson and his Miracle 3 and Michael Ruffin's buttery fingers and all that stuff against the Washington Wizards from back in 2007, and uh, it was a lot of fun. We talked all about it. We listened back to the play. We listened to the, the commentary from Chuck Swirsky. We talked about Michael Ruffin and what happened to him. Lots of good stuff in this episode with myself and John Gotis. I hope you enjoy it. Later on this week, I'll be joined by uh, Joey Devine and Sean Keen, as well as Katie Heinle. We're going to do a Round Ball Rock crossover episode. There was a great reaction to that one last time we did it, so keep an eye out. That's probably going to drop on Friday. And I think our pal James Herbert's going to stop by the podcast on Thursday as well, because much like everybody else, he's got nothing else to do, so he's going to come on and we're going to have some fun. So stay tuned. James Herbert on the show tomorrow. It'll be a good time. Uh, and until then, I think that'll uh, that'll do it. Let's get to the conversation with myself and John Gotis from Raptors HQ from about a year and a half ago about Morris Peterson and the three that put the Raptors into overtime against the Wizards and eventually won it and all the ramifications of that. Good times all around with John Gotis. Here it is. It's about Morris Peterson and in particular a certain Morris Peterson shot that took place against the Washington Wizards on March 30th, 2007. You know the shot I'm talking about. And joining me to, t- to talk about said shot today from Raptors HQ, it's John Gotis. How's it going, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm uh, excited to dive into this thing. It's... um. I don't know, would you say this is a top five memorable shot in Raptors history? Like, I don't even know what else would be on the list. It's probably like this, Kyle's half-court shot against the Heat, oddly enough, both sending the games to overtime, Like, and maybe like Vince's missed shot in Game 7 against the Sixers. Yeah, no, I think that like... We're definitely a franchise that doesn't have a lot of great moments, and this is definitely up there, especially in the period that it took place in, mm-hmm. in the 2007, where things were pretty dry. I think that it just stands out that much more because it was like 
I don't know, it's like finding a well in a desert and <laughs> just like having one good thing happen and against the Wizards, no less, which is kind of poetic considering where we're at now with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, it, it was definitely memorable. I would like put top three. Like the Carter miss and Lowry's heat shot stand out to me. Mm-hmm. And this one I think is right in that category. I can't th- really think of another one where, unless you think of like Vince Carter's shot when he was a net. Yeah. <laughs> that one really, that one really sticks in my craw. But or yeah, Jeremy Lin's game winner three. during Linsanity, perhaps. Um, yeah. Or uh, any other number of threes hit on the Raptors' head. This is a nice bit of uh, the Raptors doing it to somebody else. Of course, this game took place near the end of the 2006-07 season, which, by Raptors' standards, was very good, but was also kind of a miragey good season. They won 47 games. They finished third in the East. We're going to talk about, actually, the, oh sort my of God. the playoff implications of this season. This was the Sam Mitchell coach of the year year as well. Chris Bosh kind of coming into his own. This was a good season by Raptors yeah. standards, but still didn't end very well. Uh, and perhaps, as we'll get to, in part because of this game. But first, let's, of course, recap and give you the, I guess, the audio you need to hear from this game. Uh, the Raptors, of course, playing the Washington Wizards March 30th, 2007. The Raptors are 39-32 and 32 at the time. The Wizards are 38-32. and 32. Like, they're pretty okay at this time. Uh, they go on a bit of a tailspin by the end of the year, but, and maybe this game is sort of the inciting inc- incident of that, but uh, the Raptors are down three points to the Washington Wizards with 3.8 seconds left to go. A free throw has just been hit by, I believe, Gilbert Arenas, and the Raptors throw it in, and this is what ensues. Now will the Wizards foul down the floor, and it's a deflection by Ruffin, and the play continues, Peterson, got it, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, is it going to be Dallas, we got to check it out, if it's good, we're going into overtime, and a Hail Mary three by Mo Pete, I don't believe what I just saw, <laughs> baby edit, we have got to find out on a replay. Sam Mitchell standing right next to us, waiting to see what happens on the monitor. We have seen some incredible things. And the, uh, of course, it's ruled a basket. Uh, that's a shortened <laughs> version of the video. It's disappointing. Damn you, NBA TV. Uh, NBA TV can't do any goddamn thing right, not even on the internet. Um, I guess let's just break down the anatomy of this play first and foremost. Um, so, again, Anthony Parker has the inbound pass off of the, the made free throw. It goes down to Michael Ruffin. Poor, poor Michael Ruffin, who we're going to dedicate a lot of time to today. And he, I guess he's trying to throw the ball in the air to just run out the clock, but he misjudges the amount of time. There's also, I think, some theories that maybe he was worried he was going to get fouled, and he was a career 46% free free throw shooter, so I kind of understand the implication to try to avoid being fouled, but it was also a three-point game with like a second and a half left, and he just threw it up in the air just needlessly uh, because like who cares if you have to take free throws when you're up three with that much time on the clock with no timeouts for the Raptors. Um, I guess, John, what was your initial reaction when this all went down as Mo Pete catches the ball that Ruffin has thrown you know, haplessly into the air, sidesteps Karan Butler, and well, it's almost a travel, and then puts it down for three to send it to OT? Uh, I would have been, I guess, 16 when this play happened, mm-hmm. and I can remember this period of my life, and there being two plays 
in like the span of three years, I think, in high school that made me, I would watch TV in my parents' basement and watch games just religiously. And I think this was kind of like at the beginning of when I was becoming a Raptors fan. Mm. So there were two plays that really like made me run up the stairs, like yell at my parents to turn on the TV and see the replay. The first (laughs) one was Kobe's game winner in game four. Uh, Yeah, game four against the Suns in the first round of the playoffs because I was a huge Kobe stan. I know. I hate. I hate me. That's so uh, gross. And, and the second one was this play. This, and this one was just like off the wall crazy and mm-hmm. made like a hundred and fifty percent better by Chuck Swirsky's call. And you played it back, and I totally forgot like the desperation to get to the truck yeah. <laughs> in Chuck's call. <laughs> he wants the replay so bad, and like that five seconds after the play happens and can't contain it. Um, but yeah, this was like one of those like where were you when moments which is kind of sad to say (laughs) for fans of many nba franchises but it was just an insane play and even by today's standards with any nba team like there there's still ptsd moments where guys will get the ball try to run out the clock by throwing it somewhere throwing Mm -hmm. it down the court to somebody throwing it to an empty area space and you're just like oh god roughing and it all comes back and it's just like it's unforgettable it's an unforgettable play it's so unbelievable for so many reasons. First of all, the, the Swirsky call is incredible. It's probably, I think, my second favorite, or it's it's top two along with when TJ Ford hit the game winner against the Clippers in L.A. Uh, that's probably those two calls from Chuck Swirsky. It also, like, it involves all of his little catchphrases minus salami and cheese. Like, everything else is in there. I can't believe what I just saw. Yeah. Onions, baby, onions, all this stuff. It's all in there. Um, there there's just so much to dive into here. So... What's your favorite person's reaction to this play, like on the court, like that you can see in the video? Is there someone that stands out to you as like, oh yeah, like that guy embodies how this should feel when the shot goes in? My singular memory is Sam Mitchell, and I think a lot of people <laughs> will say that. Just losing his mind, immediately trying to get over to see the monitor, uh, just running back and forth. Mm-hmm. from the bench and back like his his just reaction to that was like it's good it's good then runs to the monitor to try to see what happened and he was like losing his mind more than every guy on the court like yeah. it was pretty typical for Mopey like running back to the bench and all that stuff like all the celebrations then like Sam Mitchell's the guy like losing his mind more than anybody and I guess kind of typical of Sam kind of in that regard but yeah that that's what <laughs> stands out for sure the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs mark your calendars to listen to locked on nba every monday to be up to date locked on nba available on youtube and wherever you get podcasts Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I absolutely love Sam Mitchell's unbridled joy in that moment. It's something you, like, almost never see from a coach. Like, can you imagine now, like, how fucking pissed off, like, Dwayne Casey would be if the game had come down to that and they won on that? And he, like, you know that after the game he'd be like, yeah, well, we got lucky and not be excited about it at all. Sam Mitchell, like, he had his foibles, obviously, and I don't know. I think he gets a bad rap, kind of. Uh, the, the Wolves were actually better under him than they are under Tibbs, but that's just me. Um, but, yeah, the, Sam Mitchell's also mine. The other one for me is Gilbert Arenas. 
who is standing under the basket with just this look of bewilderment on him as it goes in. And I want to read from a Washington Post article from the night of the game. This is from Ivan Carter, a Washington Post staff writer. A stunned Gilbert Arenas sat in front of his locker and tried to wrap his mind around what had just happened to the Washington Wizards, who lost 123-118 in overtime to the Toronto Raptors of Verizon Center last night. Quote, I think I'm going to go home and watch Titanic and see if the ship still goes down, said Arenas, whose attempt to make the layup while drawing a foul with 4.7 seconds left in overtime was thwarted by Raptors all-star Chris Bosh, who swatted away the shot. I don't even know what to say about this one. Uh, <laughs> the, the Titanic quote's very good. I just... Arenas looks so mad. This might have been like the inciting incident for like why he wanted to poop in his teammate's shoes. <laughs> like, I know he didn't poop in Michael Ruffin's shoe, but had he had that brainwave before, like, the whole thing with Andre Blatch and Javaris Crittenton, I feel like he might have – this might have been the reason everything went down for the Wizards. Like, it just – it's such a a perfect reaction by a guy who was just so much better than the person who made the mistake and just, like, is – you can tell his contempt for Michael Ruffin in this in, in this sort of reaction when he's on the court, and then I guess also afterwards when he's kind of re- relaying what happened. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, just go his ahead. slow his slow turn, like yeah. turning. He's under the basket, and he like turns his head left to Ruffin just so slowly. <laughs> like, what the hell just happened? It's hilarious, and like, how perfect is it that the Wizards have been like through generations. The like the culture is just that the players have to hate each other. Yeah, <laughs> like there has not been pretty much nonstop since Jordan joined in two thousand two. Have there been a moment where the Wizards haven't actively hated each other and like everything has changed from the top down? And that's just that that's just eminent. Like in the building, whatever they're serving them, like that's just what you are when you're in Washington Wizard. You have to hate your teammates with a blinding passion, and it's 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 eminent even here. It's crazy. So here's Michael Ruffin's explanation of what the hell he did. Uh, quote, my natural reaction was to just throw the ball in the air and let time run out, but I didn't get a good throw on it, and there was a little more time than I thought, Ruffin said. When I threw it, it kind of slipped off my palm. I didn't get a good grip on it. So I guess that does kind of make sense as to... But, like, yeah. where is it going to go? Like, if you get a good, clean throw, it's going to hit the Jumbotron or something. <laughs> I, I think, but with 3.8 seconds, like, if you get it as, like, if you throw it enough... I, I'd actually like to see, like, a study of this, like, some sort of Cartesian plane. Um, <laughs> Sports science. Yeah, like, how high would he have had to thrown it to be... to to, to use up all the 3.8 seconds on the clock? Uh, and there would have been less than 3.8 because he originally deflects it and then picks it up off of his own deflection... So he's probably. I think he throws it in the air when there's like maybe three point two on the clock at most, and mm-hmm. so like he couldn't have been far off from actually achieving his goal of getting it far enough in the air that it would have run out the time. Um, but again, like it's, he could have held on to it. Like if he's shooting free throws, he's you know odds are he's going to hit one based on his career percentage of forty six percent, which is hilarious. Um, but and then the, again, it's the same situation for the Raptors where they need their hail mary pass. Instead, you just throw it up in the air, slips off your hand into Mo Pete's hands, uh, and Karan Butler almost fouls him on this play as well. It's pretty close. Mo Pete almost travels too. It's all very uh, blurry, but uh, just unbelievable stuff. Do you remember anything about the overtime in this game? The Raptors, of course, win. They outscore uh, the Wizards 14-9. to I don't remember a second of this overtime. No, I don't either. Yeah. I, I think that Bosch had an impactful period, if I remember that correctly. But yeah. it was it was very by the book 
for that season, so it completely got sidelined by what happened before it. Bosch had a monstrous game in this one. Um, 47 minutes played, 37 points, 14 boards, 5 assists, and a block on 15 of 24 shooting. Uh, He was outstanding. I think maybe my favorite little nugget about this game, though, is that Morris Peterson played only 55 seconds in this game, and he was one of one, and the one shot is that ridiculous miracle three. I think he just played the last minute or so of regulation because they needed a three-point shooter on the court. I don't think he played the overtime at all, which is crazy to me. Like, I don't know. What was your impression of Mo Pete this season? I, this is the kind of... We can kind of transition, I guess, into the Mo Pete conversation because this was the year where it kind of fell apart for Mo Pete with the Raptors, right? Like, Anthony Parker came in, and Anthony Parker was just objectively better than Mo Pete at a lot of, th- at a lot of things, and that kind of led to Mo Pete's role getting a little bit suppressed... Do you remember sort of your reaction to that happening and, and how you felt about sort of how it ended with him and the, with the Raptors? Yeah, I mean, like, Mo Pete kind of was a player who had, you know, more potential for highlight moments and was somebody that the team had relied on. But I think that you're right that Anthony Parker kind of came in, he played better defense, um, and he had to, like, one of his best seasons shooting, if I remember correctly, probably yeah. his best season shooting. That was the big reason why they made the playoffs and. As of oh my god, forty-seven wins and you're the third seed. Like that's this was this was still when there were divisions, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, they were the third seed. They they I think they had the fourth most wins in the conference. The the Bulls had forty-nine wins right. and were the five seed. Um, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like, why the Raptors were good, and I put that like in air quotes, uh, was there, was because Anthony Parker was really good shooting the ball, and I think that it was still kind of prototypical for the Raptors to try to run out their white guy center. Mm-hmm. Um, and have a bigger lineup and that was still like you know how they announced it's the old nba uh so there's like one one spot for these this type of guy on the floor and mo pete was not as good this season that anthony parker was i mean he only shot 36 percent from three mm-hmm. uh while still taking 4.2 so i mean that's really that was the give or take of that position like if you weren't going to make threes you were going to play that much and that's really just what happened it was just like the natural cycle of a guy's career, mm-hmm. and that's why he wasn't there the next year. Yeah, I think the quick pivot from 05-06, where he had his best statistical year, he played 82 games, of course he did, he always played 82 games, started 77, he played 38 minutes a game, averaged 17 uh, with 4.5 boards and 2.5 and assists, 1.5 one, one steals, shot 39% from 3, like he was really good that season statistically, but that was a horrible team that was, you know, commandeered by Mike James halfway through, as we discussed on the last podcast, and uh, my sort of, I don't know, I have like a, I guess a contrarian opinion of Mo Mo Pete compared to most people. I think, I just, I don't know, I I think he's kind of overhyped for what he actually was, because he was... Two things. One, one, he played a lot of games. He didn't get hurt, and he had that Iron Man streak that people really loved. And two, like he didn't leave and like expressed a, a, some sort of like liking of Toronto. And I think that kind of built him up in people's minds to be something more than he actually was. And I just, I don't know. What do you think Mo Pete is in today's NBA? Because for me, I don't really think he'd be much more than like Pacers era CJ Miles. But well, I don't know. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, the NBA is so different. Like, I remember Mo Pete kind of early in his career on those playoff teams as somebody who came in and was a tremendous, like, energy boost for the team. He came in and played really hard defense, energetic, if not, you know, statistically that great. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but he was just a guy who you could instantly fall in love with, kind of like in the Alvin Williams vein, where he just came in, tried really hard, and wanted to stay. And I mean, the bar was so low for Raptors fans from like the beginning to like 2015 that that was enough to be like a beloved guy. <laughs> Uh, on the franchise. Like, that's why DeRozan was so beloved and, you know, considered the best player of his generation, um, even though that's probably not true. Um, yeah, I mean, Mopi was just lovable. Uh, he made a lot of threes. And in today's NBA, he's kind of just a fish in a huge barrel. Like, there are a lot of guys who can shoot at that position. And honestly, he's probably not big enough to be kind of impactful and desired on the level of, you know, true 3 and D guys today who everybody salivates for. Um, he is more of a true shooting guard. He transitioned to that later in his career, which is probably what, you know, was naturally going to happen. Um, there's so many guys that are like Mo Pete these days, and he had, you know, his downfalls, and those would have been more taken apart, I think, by opposition today. Yeah, I just, I don't think that his defense really held. Like, he was good in the context of those Raptors teams, but like the Raptors were a comically bad team for so many years. I think they were 29th in 2005-06, the year Mike James went off, and, and Mo Pete had his really big season. Um, I'm pulling up the, the, the index right now, but I, I'm pretty sure they were like bottom five in defense pretty much every one of these years, aside from the Kevin O'Neill season, where they were really good at defense but couldn't score any points. Um, so, yeah, I just... They... <laughs> Those years were so destitute and dark that I think it kind of... There might be no player whose reputation in Raptors history benefited more from just the era in which he played. You know what I mean? Like, maybe Alvin Williams, because he kind of replaced Damon Stoudemire and was, like, viewed as this, you know, work-a-day dude who, you know, was was gritty and all this stuff. But, like, he was also not particularly good. When I was doing my all-time Raptor rankings, like, I just couldn't rank Alvin Williams as high as I think most people wanted to see him because it's like... TJ Ford was so much better than this guy for a year, and Jose Calderon is, like, infinitely better than him. And obviously Kyle Lowry completely dwarfs anything he ever did. Um, and I think that's kind of the same with Mo Pete. Like, I would put Doug Christie ahead of him. I would put Anthony Parker ahead of him in terms of all-time wings for the Raptors. Like, Parker didn't play as long, but he was objectively better at the things that matter. And, I, like, I just don't... Maybe I'm, like, a disgusting human being for not thinking Mo Pete was some, you know, gift from God. But I just... I. And maybe I'm spoiled because I thought his like maybe my brain spoiled because he was like the worst TV broadcaster of all time. But um, that might be a different po- podcast entirely talking about his broadcast career. Um, but back to the shot for a second. We missed one part that I wanted to go over, and that is Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith ripping apart my, poor poor Michael Ruffin uh, at the the I think it's the All Decade Show on uh, for All Star Saturday Night in like 2010. <laughs> They're looking back on, I guess, the dumbest shit that happened in the in the aughts. And hey, this is the NBA in the aughts. There was a lot of dumb shit. Yeah, Michael Ruffin somehow rose to the top and was among the most notable bloopers from the decade. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, Let's just listen to Ernie Johnson with Kenny and Charles talking about Michael Ruffin. Here it is. 
We already did the buzzer beater in the regular season, and, and this one did not crack the top five. As an order, I guess it was number five out of six. But just to look at this video again, here are the Washington Wizards trying to protect a three-point lead against the Toronto Raptors, and all you got to do, you throw the ball up toward the Raptors, it just hangs up there, nothing anybody can do. But you got it, you really have to get some, some air under that ball. Watch Michael Ruffin. That was his idea, but... That's not quite high enough, and Mo Peterson ties the game. At, look at the look, Michael Ruffin. Oh, I didn't get much on that, you, did I? You, you, I like you. I like you, Michael Ruffin, but that is maybe one of the second dumbest basketball plays I've ever seen. You know what? Um, you know what's funny about that play? He almost got fouled too. Oh, no, a four-point play. That's that. That's what a put over the top. That was the second dumbest basketball play I've ever seen. The first dumbest. The guy actually made a buzzer beater. He was in high school on the wrong basket uh -huh. and loses the game shooting in the wrong oh, basket. I can't believe you, brother Ben. This. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had had the one. The Wizards called. He walked up the Wizards called. Oh, Steve Buckets on that game when it happened. Was oh no! Yeah, they ran on for a while there, but just to be compared to a high school play as the dumbest plays you've ever seen. Also, the, they replayed the same angle of that one quite a few times. It's like the sort of end line angle. And when you're looking at Michael Ruffin's face, the expression on it is just like utterly dead. It's like he's doing a no-look pass to the sky and it obviously fails also there's a there's a, an angle from him where it kind of looks like he's almost shooting a half court shot and it just misses entirely <laughs> but uh yeah shouts to michael ruffin uh let's talk about michael, michael ruffin for a sec there's a, another thing i want to get into and dive into sort of the butterfly effect of this entire thing but michael ruffin is one of the most 2000s big men i can imagine he played nine seasons he was a pro for 10. He played a season in Spain in 02-03. He was around the league for a long time, despite not doing anything. He uh, averaged 1.7 points, 3.9 boards, shot a career 40% from the field, never attempted a three, and was a career 46% free throw shooter. Like an objectively terrible basketball player who I don't think would even maybe fall even into an NBA roster spot nowadays, but for some reason was able to last for an entire decade in a previous version of the NBA. Do you have any recollection of Michael Ruffin as an NBA player, John? Uh, no, I don't think I do. <laughs> just, this one, just this one play. Yeah. Um, I, the, my favorite thing is going, like, Googling him, and uh, like the three YouTube links that you get, one is obviously this play, yeah. Uh, two is something else, and then three is what's called Michael Ruffin Mix, which <laughs> it's a YouTube video that's three minutes and thirty seconds of finger eleven, uh, and like two hundred pixel by three hundred pixel JPEGs of Michael Ruffin throughout <laughs> his career, and the comments include trash, gay, worst NBA player. Too bad he never did anything in the NBA, but when I was a kid, I watched him at Tulsa and he dominated, <laughs> which I think is like the most 2000s thing ever. It's that a guy, it's that a big man who did really well in college is drafted and GM after GM wants to recapture what he was in college. And like, it's just never going to work that way in the NBA. 
Um, there were so many of those guys like in that decade and in the 90s too. Mm-hmm. Like just big guys who scored 20 a game in college and dominated at whatever level they were playing and uh, just couldn't do it in the NBA and just kept getting contracts regardless of what <laughs> happened. Like Aaron Gray was one of those guys where he came in and like you expect him to do well because you could you could watch like highlights of how good he was in college and just did not do anything for the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like yeah, when my favorite uh, comment on this video is wow, how'd you find all these pictures of him playing? Yeah, that's insane. When um you look up the the phrase Michael Ruffin, you know how when you like you go to the Wikipedia page and there's all people also searched for uh, the the first guys who come up here are Calvin Booth, Francisco yeah. Elson, Laron Prophet. Lee Nalon and Jeff Foster are the guys. And like, that who come is up. the guy who's like <laughs> on this like paper trail on Google? It's just like, okay, I'm at Ruffin. Now let's look up what happened to Francisco <laughs> Elson. My favorite big man go. Where is Johan Petro, baby? <laughs> yeah, I, actually, it might be me. I used to do a thing when I would do trivia nights where I had a, an entire category called Name That Shitty 2000s Big Man. And I would just put a picture up of the guy, and people would have to name them. And it was the hardest shit ever, because why would anyone remember these guys? I forgot what Michael Ruffin looked like until I started redoing research for this thing. Because the the video is kind of grainy, so it's hard to really tell what he looks like in the actual video of the shot. Um, But, yeah. So, the thing about this game that is so fascinating, too, is that this is one of the most unlikely possible convergences of two people's fates that you could think of because as we mentioned Mo Pete played 55 seconds in this game it's kind of a uh, you know it's a it's near the end of his time with the Raptors he's no longer really a part of their plans or the rotation and he's in there for one purpose at the end of this game and one purpose only Michael Ruffin plays uh, I think 26 minutes in this game but puts up uh, no points on just one field goal attempt with five rebounds. So you can argue that this is the two guys who had the least impact on this game. I guess you could say Roger Mason, and hey, shouts to Calvin Booth, who also played in this game for the Wizards. They played 27 and 21 seconds combined, but, like, Ruffin, the amount, like, his PER for this game must have been, like, negative 500. He didn't do shit in this game. Um, but, of course, him and Mo Pete's fates become entwined here. Do you think Michael Ruffin has, like, ill will towards Mo Peterson? Like, do you think he's his least favorite former NBA player that he played against? Uh, yeah, maybe. I think that it would just be something that, like, sticks with you forever, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, And the fact that, like I said, when you Google him, it's the first thing you come up with. Uh, his player page on Basketball Reference, the player news, the most recent one is just the anniversary of this play. And it's probably, like okay nine years from this play like every Raptors <laughs> blog is going to write about it every every time an anniversary comes up and then Michael Ruffin has to relive it all over again mm-hmm. uh, it's like coming back from the war like you just like <laughs> things that remind you of it like every year every month it's like how every month is Kobe month now for some reason oh my god uh, Michael Ruffin just has to remember this forever and uh, yeah unfortunately he has no other dynamic play to his name <laughs> In a, in a ten year basketball career, that he has to live this down forever. So I don't know if he has ill will towards like Mo Pete, but I imagine like, oh man, if the ball hadn't slipped out of my hands and it had gone, you know, four hundred <laughs> more feet in the air, he could have just been like, an anonymous really big man. Science. Yeah, like he really could have just been some anonymous big who didn't, no one remembers. But now he's an anonymous big who everyone remembers for a very specific and terrible reason. Um, he played a combined two hundred and seventy one minutes in this entire season and yet still have managed to be on the court. I don't know. 
why was he on the court for the, this part of the game? In crunch time of a close game, it doesn't make sense why he'd be on the court either. It's, it's a perplexing thing. It was a bad era of basketball. Oh, it was trash. And, yeah, <laughs> like, it was just really, really bad. The more time goes by, the more I recognize that. Like, after a summer away from basketball this year, like, coming back to it and seeing, like, teams drop 140. Like, one team is dropping 140 every night. Yeah. Sometimes like, it's the Kings. Why did I grow up watching the 2006 product? Like, <laughs> yeah. how, do, how do I still like this sport to the point where I get to experience this and enjoy it? Part of me kind of misses it because I, I do find the NBA is very samey. And I think there's a lot of just sort of homogenization, homogenization of style. And I don't enjoy that particularly i would like to see some variance in how teams play and if there were like some good grime teams where they could win game 74 67 i'd be down for that obviously i think the way defense is played now is different but what you like the celtics (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah fuck the celtics actually (laughs) points are good actually i've changed my entire opinion on the matter the starting five for the wizards in this game was unbelievably bad. So Gilbert Arenas was 9 of 29. He had 34 points uh, on, fuck, how many shooting possessions? He had 17 free throws as well. So he had well over 40, I think, shooting possessions in this game. Uh, He, again, 34 points, 7 assists, 4 boards, was a minus 8. Karan Butler was 5 of 15. He had 17 points. Uh, Anton Jameson was 5 of 16. Deshaun Stevenson was 8 of 18. This is a dog shit team. And so this leads me to the next topic I want to get into, sort of the butterfly effect of this game. So the Raptors beat the Wizards in this game. As I mentioned, they were pretty similar in record at the time. The Raptors were a half game ahead in the standings. They win this game to uh, sort of you know move towards a strong finish of the season, whereas the Wizards kind of crater from here on out. They only have three more wins in them for the remainder of the season. They finished the season three and nine to finish at 41 and 41, tied with the New Jersey Nets also at 41 and 41. As we've talked about the Raptors with the stupid seeding rules and the idiotic division stuff, the Raptors were the three seed with 47 wins, and they ended up facing the Nets, who were sixth. Had the Raptors lost, or had the Raptors, yeah, lost this game, OP doesn't hit that shot, the Wizards finish at 42 and 40 in all likelihood, and the Raptors would still be the three seed because, again, dumb rules, and we would have seen a Raptors-Wizards 3-6 matchup where it would have been the Cavs up against the Nets in the 2-7. So let's go through this bracket and sort of, I guess, reimagine what might have happened here. If the Raptors play the Wizards, keep in mind the Raptors don't have, sorry, the Wizards don't have Gilbert Arenas at this point. He got hurt, I believe, and missed the entire series, and the Wizards eventually got swept by the Cavs in pretty comic fashion because they're the Wizards. Of course they did. Um, but so just to revisit this, if the Raptors were to have, were to have played the Wizards in that series, do you think they win that series instead of losing in six to New Jersey? Yeah, I would say so. And again, just to go back to how bad the basketball is in this era, keep in mind that that Wizards-Cavs matchup was like the premier first-round series in the NBA (laughs) just because of Deshaun Stevenson. (laughs) Yeah. um, Some of the playoff teams here. So the Heat were the four-seed at 44-38, and and the Bulls, again, were the five-seed with 49 wins, even though they were the third-best team. they, They finished third in the Central Division, and wasn't it like one team in a, in a division can jump up into the top four, but not two? If the like, it, what a stupid conference. Anyway, yeah, the Bulls were forty nine and thirty three, but were the five seed despite having two teams ahead of them and wins. Um, but yeah, carry on. I, I interrupted you with my bewilderment at the stupid stupidity of the mid aughts NBA. 
Yeah, no, I, that was literally my only point. They would, <laughs> I think they would have beaten. I think they would have beaten the Wizards. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'm with you. The Wizards were a joke, and uh, the the thing that stands out to me looking at the Wizards page from 0607 is that their GM still Ernie Grunfeld. He is uh, not without a job, despite building this team with Michael Ruffin and the, and, the, and all of his pals. Still has his job after the Arenas, Crittenton, Blatch, JaVale McGee, Nick Young team. I don't get it. I don't know what the hell Ernie Grunfeld has done, but congrats to him, I suppose, for uh, never-ending job security. So let's move ahead then. Let's assume that the because the, the Cavs beat the Nets in the second round in six games, let's assume the Cavs play the Nets in the first round in the 2-7, beat them in six games. You get Raptors-Cavs second round. LeBron James, of course, with the Cavs. This is where it gets interesting to me because the Cavs weren't fully functioning at this point. I mean, this is kind of LeBron's first big playoff year, I suppose. Does he go to the finals this year, actually? 07? Uh, yes. Yeah, they do. Okay, so maybe this wouldn't have changed anything, but... What do you think happens if the Raptors play the Cavs in the second round? Are there any sort of ramifications that come from that? Do you think the Raptors have a chance at winning that series with the team that they had? What, what do you think? Um, I would say they probably lose mm-hmm. uh, just based on like the star factor and the fact that the Raptors always seem to crumble against a star like that. Now, obviously, LeBron was not what he was kind of three or four years later, but that was mm-hmm. that was the come out like, postseason, like the big Detroit game in mm-hmm. game six, and then finishing off that team and uh kind of cratering in the finals but so be it yeah i mean but it would have just been on an entertainment factor great to see the raptors back in the second round great for the profile of the franchise to go against lebron james because obviously that's a huge matchup for an nba kind of thirsty for talent at this point um yeah but you know didn't happen (laughs) (laughs) i uh I wonder if there might have been like a, a ripple effect if the Raptors had played the Cavs in the playoffs where perhaps one of two things happens. One, Chris Bosh is amazing and maybe there's some bad blood that brews between the Raptors and Cavs. Maybe him and LeBron have a falling out in that series and Bosh is never tempted to go sign and play with LeBron because they're not friends anymore because of whatever happened in that playoff series. Or B, Bosh craters in that series and LeBron is just completely pushed away from the idea of ever playing with him and, and, and partnering up with him in, in search of championships. So maybe the Raptors beating the, the Wizards in this meaningless regular season game, are, are, are the, is it, maybe it's the reason Chris Bosh left is all I'm saying. I, I, I can't say that for sure, but I'm pretty certain actually. Um, <laughs> I uh, wanted to note from this as well, Morris Peterson wasn't wearing his headband. Do you have thoughts on this? uh he brought that back like hardcore when he was with new orleans right yeah i think it was like yellow actually by the way in a really you know bad era basketball like that new orleans team that he was on with young chris paul and david west was and tyson chandler yeah yeah they were my favorite fun teams of that era yeah like i go back and watch old games religiously and i just like cracked open the surface on that uh, Hornets team mm. and they're just like super fun and Mo Pete was a big part of that and it was enjoyable to like and just to go back to his likability like just because he was a guy that was there the whole time and you knew what to expect from him I think that's why Raptors fans loved him so much and that kind of carried over for me when he went to New Orleans just because like he, there was a consistency in what he provided when you had the moving pieces and like the hype up of guys like Charlie V, who had like a really good first year, <laughs> and then like dropped off a cliff. And, they like, traded him for TJ Ford. Thank you very much. <laughs> and 
and then like but all the guys who came in like yeah. in that era and you had like high hopes for them like yeah. joey graham and like and there was always mo pete like the first guy off the bench or in the starting lineup like you knew what you were going to get from him and it was just like steady and there was no drama to it and that was just enjoyable in its own facet so i understand why people were so pissed at you for thinking that anthony parker was better because anthony parker was like a part of the team for a fun period but he yeah. really wasn't there that long so yeah. and raptors fans are just biased towards guys who were with the franchise a long time and didn't say <laughs> that they hated it and you're just going to be going up against that for a long time i think yeah yeah that's that's fair until Kawhi sticks around long term the mo pete will always be held in, in high high esteem um Best small forward of all time until Kawhi resigns. Honestly, uh, Terrence Ross played small forward for quite a time. So, I'm kidding. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's not far from being the best small. I mean, I, I guess Parker was more a two guard than a small forward. I can't really remember what sort of the positional breakdown was for him. Doug Christie was more of a two guard. I guess McGrady was a small forward. Um, uh, Jalen Rose, much. Yeah, uh, he he was a positionless wonder. He didn't have a position, man. He he was everything. <laughs> Um, he was one through four. He couldn't defend any positions one through four, but he could play all of them on offense damn well. Um, that, 81. Mo Pete is culpable in that too, man. <laughs> very, very culpable in that. It's hard to avoid that. I don't know. It, poor Joel, like poor Jalen gets dunked on by Joel Embiid every time 81 comes up in any of his daily life, but like Mo Pete deserves some of the blame for that as well, no? Oh, yeah, at least like 50%. Like yeah. You can watch the infamous like nba tv video where it's like kobe's 81 points in 100 seconds and like half the plays are like mo pete is on him so yeah not the best defender i i don't know were you happy when kobe did that to the raptors as a kobe stand disgusting person that you are (laughs) yeah honestly i was god so gross it was just enjoyable because you knew that the raptors were going to be part of history i guess i would rather be not (laughs) <laughs> if that's going to be... You have to take what you can get. Yeah, honestly. I mean, I still hold on to the idea that Vince Carter was the antagonist and like Mike as being some sort of relevance, so maybe I'm throwing stones here from a glass house. Um, uh, I had one more thing I wanted to talk about, but I can't really remember now. Brian Is it Brian. Lemon Glow? Yeah, okay, so I've started this thing. I haven't really revealed it to the listeners just yet, but I, I'm allowing the listener to pick the song... That is the outro to the podcast. Last week, uh, Joe Wolfon selected Fool for You by The Impressions because he, uh, Mike James has that effect on you. Uh, if you hear the song, of course, it's uh, it's just mostly about Mike James's effect on Raptors fans. And then the first week, I imposed using The Second Arrangement by Steely Dan for Kelly Dwyer because he's, his site is called The Second Arrangement, so why the hell not? Um, so I've given John the opportunity to pick the song that wraps up today's podcast. And I guess we can get to that now. We've covered everything, right? Have we? Is there anything that you feel like I've missed or that we should still cover about this shot? No, I'm just so excited to get back to enjoying Raptors basketball now. Yeah. <laughs> and not talk about this sad, sad era. Yeah. Uh, one thing, uh, apparently at Tulsa, where Michael Ruffin was a, a, a god in college, he studied chemical engineering. Maybe you should have studied aerodynamic engineering uh, or something like that. That Ooh, maybe would roasted. have uh, helped him in his later NBA career. Anyway, shouts to Michael Ruffin, or not, whatever. So the song that you've chosen to close today's podcast, please describe why and, and what song it is and why you have chosen it. Well, 
it's a busy day so i went through my itunes library and just kind of went through the most recent albums i added and just figured what would be the most inappropriate for a sports podcast so i picked beach house lemon glow uh the lyrics are reminiscent of sex and i am passionate about mo pete's career so all these factors arrived me at the place where i was just like you know what screw it i'm just gonna send this to sean and uh we're just gonna roll with it was mo pete good at sex is he good at sex? Probably. Yeah. Do you think he, you know, got down quite often when he was in in, in his prime, in his heyday? He's a handsome. He was a handsome man. But he probably he still is a handsome. Yeah, that was like half the reason he was on TV is because he was handsome, not because he was any good. Anyway, uh, th- I guess thanks for this song. I've never heard it before. Um, so what, Beach House fans know who's Beach House. Should I know this? Is this like me having a big, like, glaring, like, knowledge gap, not knowing what Beach House is? Lots of people will know what Beach House is. I think. Okay. What like the song doesn't really have like a specific genre to me. What what would if I was to look up more Beach House? What would I be looking for? Uh, well, this album's really good. It's their latest one. It's called Seven. Okay. Uh, the album Bloom, I think from four years ago, was probably like what they're best known for. But yeah, it's all very like I've seen them live a couple times, and it's very like shoegazy, dark. Like the whole point is that you're not supposed to know what they're saying. It's very like background music. Hence why I chose it because it does not fit uh, your brand at all. <laughs> I like a, a nice noise noise album. I, I can mess with that, but. Um, no, I, I'm more of a of a loud punk music type fellow myself. But hey, we'll wrap exactly. this thing up with uh, Lemon Glow. Is that the song we're using? Yeah, I have to download the, the song still to put it on here. But yes, Lemon Glow by Beach House. Uh, we'll wrap this podcast up. Thank you to Morris Peterson. Thank you to Michael Ruffin for making this possible. And thank you to John Gotis. John, thank you for coming on, man. Where can people check out your work? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at John Godis, uh, G-A-U-D-E-S, and all the work goes on Raptors HQ. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.